1: This is Angie, and today we'll be talking all about primates, animal welfare, what you need to know about sanctuaries, the problems with exotic pet ownership, and the laws surrounding having primates as pets. And I'm so excited to be talking with Dr. Liz Tyson, who is the program director of Born Free USA and has over 15 years of experience advocating for animals and working hard to improve their welfare. As the Program Director of Born Free USA, Dr. Tyson oversees the welfare and rescue work of Born Free USA at the country's largest primate sanctuary, and she also has a huge role in the development and leadership of the organization's campaign work. So hello, Dr. Tyson. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Hi. Thank you so much for having me, and please call me Liz. (laughs)
1: Okay, you can call me Angie or just call me anything as long as you call and stick with me today. I'm just so happy to have you here.
0: (laughs) I'm delighted to be here. Thank you.
1: Yes, we're going to have so much fun talking about Born Free and learning about their history and of course primates. I want to hear all the primate stories because they're just such iconic, animated, intelligent creatures. But before we dive in, I was wondering if you could give myself and our listeners um, a little bit about your background.
0: Of course. Um, so I started, God, it's it's coming up for 18 years now, which makes me feel very old. Um started working with primates um, back in 2003, 2004, as a caregiver at a sanctuary in my native United Kingdom. And then that was just kind of a leap in the dark, to be perfectly honest. I hadn't worked with primates before. And then from there, I've just been on such an adventure honestly from there i went i was had the opportunity to go to colombia and work in the amazon in primate conservation working with indigenous communities there. I then came back to the UK um, and worked for a time at the same sanctuary again, back with my original monkeys, moved in more into campaigning for protection of wild animals, particularly wild animals in captivity. Um, and during which time I also did my PhD, which focuses on animal law relating to um, wild animal welfare. And then finally, three years ago, almost to the day, actually, I moved out to sunny South rural Texas to take over the management of the sanctuary here. And then since that time, I've taken on the, as you say, the leadership of the campaigns work for Born Free. So I am living my dream. Um, It's an unusual life. It's an unusual job, but it's fabulous.
1: Oh, well, I can't wait to hear more about it. But ever since you were growing up, did you always know that you were A primate person? Like several of my friends have like, I'm going to work with primates. They knew that from when they were little. Or was it just animals in general?
0: It was animals in general. Um, It was anything from beetles and mice and moles and uh, hedgehogs to it it was any kind of animal it was kind of an obsession for me but honestly I think when I was younger I didn't know that you could do anything with regards to work with animals apart from being a vet because when you're little that's what that's what you associate kind of working with animals so it took me really till my early 20s for me to find out and really understand that there was other things I could do other than other than be a vet and that's how I got involved in sanctuary work. And it was just lucky that I ended up working with primates and, of course, fell in love.
1: <laughs> of course, yes. I remember I shadowed a couple equine vets because same thing, I love animals and everybody's like, oh, you're going to be a vet. And, and I didn't. So I spent uh, some of my years of high school and early college shadowing uh, an equine vet and I loved it, but I also realized that it was not for me. Mm. I, I cried too much. I I have a little bit of a weak stomach, so I'm a fainter. <laughs> so mm. all these things. But Come to find out there's so many other things you can do if you're passionate about animals and so absolutely now, with all your background, do you have like a favorite animal interaction story that was kind of your aha moment
0: um. I think really it was uh, woolly monkeys. I don't look after woolly monkeys here in, in Texas, but I felt, oh, I felt so hard for woolly monkeys. And then when I was working in Columbia, this was when I was already working with primates. I was already deep into it. I was down the rabbit hole, but there was the first time that I saw these animals in the wild. And one of the only times I ever saw them in the wild, despite living out there for three years and spending so much time in the forest that was just something that is what still one of the most emotional experiences of my life and i think what that really did for me was just consolidate my my work in terms of wanting to protect them and wanting to protect them from exploitation so it kind of it finessed I guess my focus they were just so beautiful there was a a big mama with her baby on her back who was just kind of staring down at me and they weren't scared of us because we were in this kind of pristine area of forest where people generally didn't go so they weren't worried that they were going to be hunted or chased and it was just such a wonderful moment and I was just like this is how you guys need to live this is what you are supposed to be doing Um, and I think that's where I really thought yeah this is where I need to this is where I need to to focus my efforts.
1: And now switching gears a little bit to Born Free, mm-hmm. would you mind giving our listeners a background about the historical perspective of how Born Free was created?
0: Of course, it's a really interesting story. And a lot of people ask us like, oh, hey, have you seen the film Born Free? Or have you heard of the film Born Free? Well, yes. And right, the song, which I'm not going to sing, but that Born Free actually grew out of that film. Um, So the founders of Born Free um, were Virginia McKenna, Bill Travers, and their son, Will Travers. Um, Unfortunately, Bill passed away some years ago, but Virginia and Will are still very much involved. Will is the executive president of the organization, and we we we're in contact with Virginia regularly. In fact, she came out to visit us. So these wonderful actors were in this film with these young lion cubs. Afterwards, um, they basically, the lions were going to be sent on to live in captivity and they saved them and they moved them to a reserve where they could be safe and they could live in freedom the work then moved on they were the two virginia and bill who were married couple they um started another film called an elephant called slowly and afterwards the elephant was going to be sent to a zoo in england due to an agreement between the country and and london zoo and they campaigned really hard to stop that from happening. This was an elephant who had been taken from their natural habitat, from the wild and then to be put in this concrete enclosure in in Regent's Park in London. So they campaigned against it and unfortunately they couldn't they couldn't stop it from happening. Now Polypoly, the little elephant, died very prematurely and then from that grew I guess the desire and the the passion to start really working against these kinds of exploitation of animals and that's where that's where Born Free started originally called Zoo Check um, it did exactly that it kind of kept zoos in check and kind of acted as maybe an overseer if you like and to monitor welfare and things like that and then grew into the organization that it is today with offices all around the world we run sanctuaries uh, Born Free USA was founded some years later and we focus on campaigning we focus on captive care and we focus on conservation so we're doing an awful lot I'm really proud to be part of Free.
1: Well, yeah, I loved exploring uh, the Born Free USA website and just on learn me learning that there's more chapters like in the UK mm-hmm. and then here in, in, in the United States. And the website is just lovely. And I didn't realize how many different campaigns and how hard your organization is working on several different missions. Yes. So I was hoping that you could help educate myself and the listeners about. What Born for USA is doing with all these campaigns to help increase welfare for animals that are in captivity and then also, of course, in the wild. That was really impressive to me.
0: Absolutely. So we have focuses which are kind of international and also national. So some of our international work focuses on West Africa. We have this incredible program, which is run by a very small, extremely effective team out there, which basically focuses on facilitating often local law enforcement officers out in West African countries to help them gain the skills and the knowledge they need to curb wildlife trafficking and they just do such fabulous work I'm always astounded by how much they achieve it's brilliant here in the US we work on campaigns um, surrounding native wildlife so one of our big campaigns is against trapping trapping has been banned across so many countries in the world it is such an indiscriminately cruel practice and yet it continues for recreational purposes it continues for commercial purposes and believe it or not it also is allowed to happen in wildlife refuges in the wildlife refuge system so you know these places where wildlife is supposed to be safe and they can you know they can put their paws into a foothold trap and that's where they will suffer and die that just beggars belief for us so that's something that we're campaigning hard to change we also work very strongly on the exotic pet trade that's something that we work very hard to combat we've got two really important pieces of legislation we're working on right now one is the big cat public safety act which would ban the private ownership of big cats so banning big cats as pets it would also ban public interactions with big cats in places like i'm sure Everyone, everyone indulged in the lockdown series, Tiger King, and that kind of abuse that we saw there and that kind of dangerous interaction with big cats that is currently allowed in many zoos and roadside zoos. That's something this act would change. So we're working really hard to get that implemented. As well as that, we're also working to implement a law which would also ban the private ownership of primates as pets. And as you can imagine, that's very close to my heart because here at the sanctuary, we deal with the victims of that trade and we see firsthand the damage that it does um we also work on fur we work on trophy hunting so we want to ban trophy hunting imports because while a lot of trophy hunting happens over on a different continent actually the us is one of the in fact perhaps the biggest importer of hunting trophies therefore you know we've got to take action here in the us to stop the demand so we're we're busy we're we're into a lot of things Yes and then
1: you also help run the United States largest primate sanctuary. Yes. Which is another fact I didn't know and <laughs> that's really what I I want to kind of dive into today and first I just have to ask being so close to these intelligent creatures do you have a favorite primate or species that you're currently working with right now
0: oh see we're not supposed to have favorites but of course we do there are individuals some of the individuals I
1: mean I think that that's what parents (laughs) say but I think I have a favorite right now
0: (laughs) I was oh goodness I've got I've got a handful of of favorites one is Darwin who is an olive baboon He is just one of the sweetest, sweetest people I know. He was kept as a pet for many years. He's in his late 20s. He has a red egg, which is his favorite thing in the whole world, which he carries around with him, plays football with, sits on it. It sometimes looks like he's laid it. Um, He adores that red egg so much. And he's just, he's such a sweet boy. And then there's also Gizmo, who is a long tail macaque, who really doesn't care for me, but I adore him. Um, so yeah, you know, I have unrequited love going on. Dorky, Dorset, uh, Darwin thankfully does um, does care for me, but Gizmo does not. Um, and it, we've just got so many characters yes. and so many guys who've come from such difficult backgrounds, and to see them thrive and to see them meet monkeys for the first time, I just I'm so impressed with so many of them. I'm so proud of so many of them.
1: Well, yes. And uh, speaking of the sanctuary. Can you give us a description on what a sanctuary is, what its purpose is, Mm -hmm. and that's maybe more in general for our listeners. And then if you could kind of dive into the mechanics of your sanctuary, uh, Born for USA, the Primate Sanctuary, about how large it is, how Mm -hmm. many primates you have, things like that.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I think a lot of people ask us that, you know, how can you tell the difference between a true sanctuary and kind of a pseudo sanctuary, you know, something that advertises itself as a sanctuary, but might not be. And I think really, there's just some questions that you can ask about the way they operate. First of all, there are red flags, if somebody somewhere calls itself a sanctuary, um, and for example, it's open to visitors 365 days a year, say it's encouraging Interactions, direct interactions with the animals. Um, if there is an active breeding program, there's a lot of things that would raise flags to say this isn't really what a sanctuary is and this isn't what a sanctuary does. What we do is we always offer a home for life. We would never move the monkeys on unless there was a very good welfare reason to do that. Um, we care for them. We don't have a breeding program. It's not what we are looking to do. Is to We're not looking to create more monkeys in captivity in perpetuity we're looking to provide the ones who really need a space and a safe space um we're looking to protect them from harm where the monkeys are coming from so for us they're coming from the pet trade they're coming from laboratories and they're coming from we we've, we've rescued five monkeys from this awful roadside zoo that had been um shut down and taken to court and all the animals have been confiscated. We did, did that last year. One good way of finding out if a sanctuary is legitimate is also to see if they have any kind of accreditation. So for example with the for primates, the uh, NAPSA accreditation, which is the National Association of Primate Sanctuaries of America, I think. <laughs> um, and then GFAS, which is the global federation of animal sanctuaries. So that's a really good sign. The the process to get accreditation is rigorous i know cuz i've been through it um and so if you've got those if you go to their website if you see that on there you know that these are really good legitimate sanctuaries that have passed all sorts of standards to to make sure the animals are really well cared for
1: yeah i don't think people realize that accreditation is no joke it's yeah. i mean it's all <laughs> encompassing it's not only it's not only the uh animals and their care i mean that's of course the main objective the mm-hmm. animals and the welfare but um They'll, they go through your finances. I mean, they go yeah. through everything. And
0: Absolutely. because,
1: and correct me if I'm wrong, if you're in a sanctuary, I'm assuming you take care of the animal for life, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not cheap. No, I would, it would imagine
1: not. it's very expensive <laughs> to take care of a primate.
0: It is. It is. And that's something that, you know, like you say, it's not a box ticking exercise accreditation with GFAS, which we have. It is a rigorous process. There's an inspection. There is provision of all sorts of, all sorts of documentation and, and questions. But like you say, it's not cheap. And I think one of the things that we have found in the past is that um, if sanctuaries are not planning for the future, if they are, if they're not really taking seriously that commitment to look after these animals for life, that's where they trip up. And in fact, in 2011, we took on 115 monkeys from a sanctuary which was shut down because it effectively went bankrupt. And that is, it's a tragedy, but it is also something that will the the ones who get impacted most of the animals. So you need to be able to show that you have all of that infrastructure in order to properly care for these animals. These animals live a long time. They're, you know, they'll live 30, 40 years. They'll need to have enclosures rebuilt during that lifetime because they don't last forever, particularly down here in Texas, where the climate is savage. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot that goes into a sanctuary, which obviously the, the primary the primary focus is caring for the animals. But there is so much infrastructure and framework that needs to go around that to make sure that you are um, you're really doing everything you can to do the best for the animals.
1: And now, Liz, can you can you tell me about the size and the number of animals that you guys house and take care of every day?
0: Of course. We, um, we operate on 175 acres, so we're quite a big site. Um, and we look after just under 400 monkeys, um, which is bonkers. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. It is a lot, yes. So many of those from, like I say, the pet trade, laboratories, uh, roadside zoos, Um, so yeah, and they come to us and we provide for them from, from there on in.
1: And now, as you mentioned that some of these primates that you have rescued in our house at your sanctuary come from private, come from private ownership. So can you talk to us a little bit about why owning a primate is not, I know they're cute. You see them on cards and Uh in commercials and things like that, which I'm not a huge fan of, the listeners Mm know. Uh, but Why is it not a good idea to have a primate as a pet? Even if they're a small one, Mm -hmm. why shouldn't we do that?
0: Okay. So I think there's a number of different, there's a number of different reasons. Our primary one is that it is horrible for the, for the monkey or the ape. Um, You know, in order for a primate to be kept as a pet by, they need to be removed from their mother, often at a few weeks old, um, at most a couple of months old, which, you know, creates maternal deprivation not just for the child but also for the for the mother who's being used to breed these these animals simply to be sold into this trade. It means they don't develop properly. It means they suffer psychological harm as a result of that. So you see a lot of stereotypic behaviours, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know what they what that is. But if you don't, then it is things like self-biting. Um, it might be pacing. It might be head twisting. It might be bar biting. All of those things are basically indicative of poor mental health and stress. It's, it's a direct result of stress, those behaviours. Um, so there's the welfare of these animals. And it takes them such a long time to recover from this and some of them honestly don't recover um if we have time can I tell you a quick story about one of our one of our former residents
1: I would love that Liz I would love that
0: so I just think Charlie's story is just such such a a perfect yet sad example of the realities of the pet trade so Charlie was a Japanese macaque he was Absolutely beautiful. He was fluffy white with a bright pink face. He was on the surface so healthy. He was kept as a pet. Um, he attacked the his owner's grandson. His grandson was hospitalized. Thankfully, he made a full recovery, but he was severely injured. As I understand it, he may have lost a finger or part of a finger. Um, that's the other side of it. It's welfare and it, they're simply dangerous. They are wild animals. As a result of that, understandably, the owner no longer wanted Charlie. So he was going to be killed. He was going to be put to sleep by the authorities because of the danger he posed. And because of a local campaign to save his life, he was moved temporarily to I think it was actually like a dog shelter. Um, From there, he moved to another sanctuary. He was extremely aggressive with the other monkeys. He couldn't settle. um, And that sanctuary asked us to try and take him and see if we could provide him with a better life. We did. That was the winter of 2018. We pride ourselves on being able to work with these animals and really give them a good life and work with patience that's required to get them into a good social situation with other monkeys. Usually these animals are terrified when they first meet other monkeys because they've never seen one before, um, not since they were taken from their mums. They don't know how to behave. It's stressful and it's often very frightening. Charlie we moved we tried with so many different potential groups and partners and he just could not get on with any of them he he ricocheted between violent and aggressive and absolutely terrified this went on for a year we'd moved him into an enclosure on his own and we were working out next steps and I remember this so clearly I was out with the monkeys one morning and my colleague turned around to me and she just said Liz I think he's gone And I looked at him and he was just passed away in his enclosure. This was a really healthy young boy. He was seven years old. There was no reason for him to pass. He had no illness. And his necropsy, the pathology report came back and he had literally passed from the cumulative stress that he had suffered throughout his short life. And that to me, like Charlie is kind of my... You know, the reason, for, the reason for the work we do, that is what happens. He's not an isolated story. That is what happens when you keep monkeys as pets. It is dangerous. And it is, when I say it's horrible for them, I mean it is horrible for them. Sanctuary is often not the answer. Um, and some of them cannot overcome the trauma that they've suffered. So anybody listening who thinks it might be an idea, please don't do it. Please don't do it.
1: And can you explain to us some of the laws or maybe lack thereof uh, for private exotic animal ownership? I know sure. there's the tigers, but then also primates in the U.S.
0: Yeah, of like course. who can so, own a
1: primate? Mm-hmm. Who regulates it?
0: Yeah, so it's regulated at state level, um, where it is regulated, and there's just this happens so much with animal welfare laws that there's such a patchwork of legislation that it's very different difficult to even unravel what is legal in one place or another there might be county ordinances city ordinances there might be a state law there might be there's all sorts of different things so first of all it's very difficult to know what the laws are In our recent research, we found—I think it was twenty—even for
1: you, who actually has a PhD in it. (laughs)
0: Yes, (laughs) maybe I'm just not a very good lawyer. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But you know, the (laughs) there may be there's there's around twenty-two states, twenty-two or twenty-three states which have some kind of law relating to ownership of primates and that might be you need a permit it might be that they're banned altogether it might be there's restrictions on certain species but there really is no consistency across there so what we're really working towards is a federal level restriction on keeping primates as pets and that's what we're really focused on right now because honestly the only way to end the suffering of monkeys like charlie is to ban the trade. And right now there's there's thought to be around 15,000 primates as pets in the US alone. So even if the trade stopped tomorrow, existing primates would be grandfathered in, and then we've still got a lifetime of work to just work through the care of the remaining monkeys. We don't have 15,000 spaces in sanctuaries, so this trade has to stop for us to begin to kind of pick up the pieces and really bring an end to it.
1: Wow, Liz, I had no idea that the estimates were 50,000. And that's just in the U.S. or globally? 15,
0: 1.5. Oh, 1.5. We five. think it's 1.5, one 1.5 five. One five, then, yes. Um, and that's just in the U.S. And that is a conservative estimate, yeah.
1: So is really the only answer a federal law? Is that what your, um, your organization is working towards to stop private ownership of primates?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We really do feel that you know the state legislation isn't going to work. And I think the point is there's no there's no type of legislation that could make private ownership of primates any less cruel. There just isn't a way for people to have primates as pets and those animals to live a good life. So for us, it's about ending it, drawing a line under it, and doing what we can to provide a home for those few that we can take in. And we really can take in so few because... Even with 175 acres, even with 400 monkeys, they live a long time, so they're here. We don't have spaces opening up constantly, so we just really feel what has to happen is to, we've got to draw a line under it. We've got to nip this, like cut it off at the root, and then deal with deal with what comes next.
1: Yes, I just got goosebumps. I, I mean, I'm I'm on board for sure. Uh, all exotic animals, yes. for the most Thank part. You. Um, but how do <laughs> uh-huh. we? Or how does your organization educate the public about these issues of private welfare and ending exotic ownership? And then, of course, their conservation. Mm-hmm
0: absolutely we actually have a really exciting project in the pipeline right now which covers all of those things so we're we're, we've worked on a piece of research which is going to be launched um, around mid-october this year i'm not sure when this episode will go out but keep an eye out for it and that really does cover it covers all of the angles it covers the legislation it covers the global uh, perspective and how even though a lot of the trade here in the u.s is legal it's not necessarily that a lot of these animals are being taken from the wild there is a knock on effect um, to other countries when countries like the United States which is seen as a leader in animal protection is not taking the steps they need to take to protect them so there's definitely that knock on effect we have we have spokespeople from uh, Colombia we have spokespeople who've worked in, in Indonesia and that part of the world everyone's saying the same thing the US has to ban it and that will have a positive impact in the illegal wildlife trade that is happening that is actively threatening wild populations so yeah we're excited about that piece of work and that's going to be coming out we're going to be doing a lot of kind of campaigning and publicity around that soon
1: well liz we look forward to that and definitely hear all creatures podcast when that comes out we'll promote it and help support it as well and since we are in the midst of a global pandemic would you mind touching on how COVID 19 has impacted both your organization and then the primates right they can get it
0: sure absolutely it's yeah it's been kind of interesting um because we have to be we've had to have kind of really strict lockdown you know we've had mass policies we've had all of that right from the beginning because one of the first things we found out was that you know covid can impact the monkeys we care for but we also have always there is always the risk of zoonotic disease spread between humans and animals so we operate with very strict ppe so when when all of the kind of uh, when covid started to happen the the kind of precautions that were being taken were precautions that we take anyway What impacted us actually was that all of the stuff we usually use, the the gloves and the masks and all of that suddenly skyrocketed. So in terms of supply, in terms of supplying our produce, because there was limited movement, there were there are a lot of things which just our day to day operation that we had to kind of pivot and really work out how we were going to how we were going to manage these things. So. COVID has affected us in that sense. But really, we always have to manage the sanctuary in such a way that prevents zoonotic disease spread. There is so so many things that we can give to them and that they can give to us. So for example, working with macaques, a lot of those are carriers of herpes B virus, we manage them very safely. And we have very strict protocols in place. But if that's contracted and untreated in humans, it's fatal in 70 to 80% of cases. And you know, that's one of the thing that things that baffles me because rhesus macaques are some of the monkeys who are most commonly kept as pets. So you're bringing this risk into your family's home, um, so yeah, COVID has been a challenge, obviously, for all not-profit organizations. You know, people have got really important things to, to pay for. People have lost livelihoods. People have lost lives. So um, the other thing that happens is obviously there's there's a risk to our operation because we just rely on the the generosity of donors. We've been very lucky that people have continued to support us and we we couldn't do what we do without our donors. So we're really, really grateful for that.
1: Oh, yes. I'm, I'm very grateful for them as well. And And for our listeners out there or even the average person like me, what can we do to help get the message out there, to help help you on your mission to reduce privately owned and unwanted or uncared for primates?
0: Yeah the best thing you can do right now is if you were to head to our website which is bornfreeusa.org we have our primate campaign and there you can contact your representative to ask them to support the captive primate safety bill that's something which we are pushing really hard because that is that's the solution um you can also you can symbolically adopt one of the monkeys at our sanctuary you can adopt both darwin and gizmo the two loves of my life one who doesn't love me one who does um they're wonderful so if you're so taken with that you can you can be part of their lives and get regular updates and photos, um, but yeah, there's a lot of ways you can help. But if I could ask people to do one thing, it's contact your rep, get them to support the Captive Primate Safety Act, and let's get this banned.
1: In by rep, you mean state representative, congressman, congresswoman, your, congr-
0: your congressional, your congressional rep. Yes, awesome.
1: Yes, very, very good. And now for our listeners out there too uh, that love primates or any wild animal for that matter. What is some of your advice uh, if they want to get involved in conservation or working on animal welfare, animal rights?
0: I think one of the great things, and I really appreciate that this is such a It's a very privileged position to be able to volunteer because people have busy lives and people, you know, people don't have a huge amount of free time. But if you are in a position to be able to volunteer, that's always a really great thing to do. And I think one of the good things, one of the positive things that's come out of the last few years is that we've learned that there is so much we can do from home. Um, And so a lot of organizations are now far more geared up to being able to do that. So, you know, if you can volunteer at your local sanctuary, that's amazing. Um, If you can't, then why not reach out to an organization you really admire and see if they have volunteering opportunities, which even if, you know, it's an hour a week on a Saturday or Sunday and you can do it all online. A lot of organizations have gotten really good at creating those opportunities. So that's one thing. Um, Donations are always welcome. Again, I'm aware that isn't possible for everyone. But honestly, learning you know reading and learning more about the subject matter just being an informed voice on the issue that you care about there's a lot of there's a lot of noise at the moment around you know around different issues and people you know social media is amazing in some ways because it just facilitates this brilliant flow of conversation but there's also kind of um not necessarily always well-informed opinions. So I think just learning and just becoming that voice, becoming that voice who really knows what you're talking about and really has your, you know, your subject nailed down. I think that is always really, really helpful. Um, it's really helpful to the conversation. It's really helpful to the discourse to move things forward in the right direction.
1: Well, yes. And I just, I I really think that uh, Born for USA has so many wonderful campaigns going on and the largest and one of the best primate sanctuaries in the country. And so for our listeners out there, please keep an eye on what this group is doing. And we're going to help promote some of the primate safety act and legislation when it hopefully comes through, because we are also big believers and, um, Definitely ending primates as pets. That's just, uh, it's not the way to go, that's for sure. Um, and so you can find more about Liz and her organization, Born Free USA, at bornfreeusa.org. And of course, on other social media platforms. And I highly recommend you check out the website and, uh, and learn more about this great organization and what they're doing, not only for primates, for, for all the animals and for their welfare. Because I know all of our listeners out there really just want animals to be safe and happy and living their best lives, just like we should be doing, right?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for that.
1: And Liz, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Uh, uh, for our listeners, Liz and I were actually chatting before the interview, and I feel like we're fast friends, and we have so many more things to talk about. <laughs> I told her I was like, "Ooh, let's have, a, let's, uh, let's have a let's let's have another conversation on different topics because she's just a wealth of knowledge, and I'm just really happy to uh, t- to get to know her today and her organization because I really hope to keep this conversation going, keep picking her brain because she she has so much animal advocacy behind her belt. And uh, she is just a true, true animal welfare hero. So thank you, Dr. Liz Tyson. Ah, Thank
0: you so much. I'm blushing. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, you're wonderful. Um, Take care. And we'll have you back again real soon.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye bye.